It's my uh, privilege at this time to introduce Mr. Ken Polly. Uh, he's going to be joining us this morning. Um, he and his wife, Laura Lee, have three children and currently reside in Park Rapids. Um, Ken currently works through an organization called Ministry Developers Network, and this ministry primarily focuses on church renewal and development. He also works with churches and pastors in leadership and pastoral development. Uh, please join me in welcoming Ken, who will at this time share a little more about who he is, the gospel is expanding within his ministry, and then also preach from God's Word. Well, welcome, folks. Good, uh, good to be with you. I actually was involved with this church show about eight years ago. Uh, it was before you called your pastor. Um, had a chance to build some very positive friendships here with the uh, people involved in ministry, so it's always nice to be back. Had a chance to share about a year and a half ago, and I uh, greatly appreciate this church and appreciate your investment in uh, the ministry that I'm involved with. Uh, my primary field is, uh, is a highly strategic field, in my opinion. Um, largest English-speaking ministry field in the world third largest ministry field by population in the world, and um, it happens to be primarily in the U.S. The U.S. is all those things, post-Christian, uh, people fading away uh, from biblical principles. But what I do is I work with churches, I work with pastors and church leadership, and the goal is to help them become more effective and healthy. Healthy churches produce uh, growing and authentic disciples of Christ, who are effective in sharing Christ uh, and reaching others for Christ. And they also, it frees people up uh, resources to make significant investment worldwide missions. Uh, that is a leverage point that, that I, I love the Church of the Living Christ. I love a chance to interact with God's people. So it's a joy every time I get to work with a different church. But because there are so many resources that are available, uh, greatest resources in the world, um, in America, to be able to free those up to be used more effectively and efficiently for the kingdom of Christ is, uh, is a privilege. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus says the fields are ripe for harvest and to pray for workers. And to be able to uh, really uh, free up workers and, and uh, make sure resources are properly invested for maximum impact, that's, that's what I'm about. Um, part of it is driven by the love for the Church of the Living Christ. Work with three types of churches. Uh, one is a class, they're, they're small or declining churches, um, and the, the role there is to renew and to resource. Uh, 50% of the churches in America, I think that's the current statistic, are under 100 people. Only 20% of them really exhibit spiritual vitality. Now, admittedly, there's a certain number of them that are just religious social clubs, but quite a few of them are Bible-based and Christ-centered and just simply need resources and encouragement. A lot of the churches I work with aren't affiliated with a denomination, and if they are affiliated with a denomination, they're just so small that the resources from the denomination are not available. The second class of um, churches I work with are broken or fractured churches, and really, that's how God has directed a good, a fair percentage of my ministry. Uh, oftentimes, sadly, I enter a church ministry and there's just charred remains 
from destructive conflict. And at that point, uh, the goal is to stabilize, to help the church recover and rebuild. And it's just, it's marvelous. You know, God is all about repairing lives and, and repairing ministries. And that we can stand confident that God is at work and to see him work in some of these church situations that have just uh, self-destructed is, is a great uh, testimony to his faithfulness. The third segment is churches I, where I can kind of get out ahead of the curve. They're not broken and they're not declining, but they just want to uh, be more effective in ministry. And in those churches, I help with assessment and help them figure out how to strengthen their ministry um, so that they can, again, utilize those resources in a better way. So that's, uh, that's the ministry I'm privileged with. And um, as I said, one of the joys I have then is to be able to interact with God's people. And it's just fun to see how they network. And I'm serving in one church and meet people that know uh, others from other churches. And it's a privilege. Say, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your faithful love. We're grateful that you're at work in our lives, that uh, we can stand on the truth and the power of your word. And just ask that you would challenge and change us this day as we uh, look into the scriptures. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today we're going to go into a text that is probably familiar to many of you. We're going to John chapter 4 if you want to head that direction. And learn a little bit more about the, um, the relevance and the impact of the message of Jesus Christ. As he encounters a person that we know only as the woman at the well. Now, one of my favorite uh, accounts, uh, John chapter 4. And as we uh, work through this text, <clears throat> in the background, I just want you to keep in mind three questions. Uh, question one, what was she looking for? Question number two, uh, where was she looking? And question number three, what did she find? So as we read through this text, I'm going to just dialogue with you about the text as we move through it. But those three questions, what was she looking for, where was she looking, and what did she find? So we pick up in verse 3. It says, Jesus, uh, he or Jesus left Judea, went again, away again to Galilee, had to pass through Samaria, because Judea was in the south, Galilee was in the north, and Samaria sandwiched in between. Um, and he came uh, to a, Samaria, a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. <clears throat> and Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, it was the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. We never learn her name, by the way. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why is that? Well, a little background uh, of of just how these people groups uh, were related and also um, uh, divided. Uh, After Solomon's uh, kingdom, the nation Israel divided into two segments. Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom, uh, Samaria, uh, developed their own temple, their own duplicate style of worship. Uh, they eventually were taken captive by a king of Assyria about 722 B.C. And that king took hostages 
and also settled uh, people in this land that were not uh, Jewish background. And over time, there was intermarriage. And what the Jews despised about the Samaritans, there were a lot of things. One was that, that they had broken away and set up this counterfeit form of, of, of worship. One was that they were intermarried. And they considered them half-breeds and, were, uh, and despised them. Uh, they also harassed uh, when, when the Babylonian uh, exile ended. And they started to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The Samaritans were ones that sought to undermine that. So there's a lot of backstory to this. But she was amazed. How on earth? Because she knew that uh, in a Jewish person's eyes, she was a despised person. Also very countercultural was a man addressing a woman in this manner. Uh, we see that uh, the surprise from the disciples in verse 27 uh, that so here's this encounter unexpected to this lady a Jew addressing her a male Jew addressing to her and Jesus uh, as she said how is it that you being a Jew asked me for a drink uh, Jesus verse 10 answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you then, uh, how do you then get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Uh, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him shall never thirst but the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor, come, uh, nor need to come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband. <laughs> so here's this, this lady, and, and she's processing, well, maybe this is a good deal. Maybe there is some water, so I don't have to come out here. Still thinking in the physical plane. There's a good interaction. Uh, Jesus has developed this interaction and, and leading towards uh, dropping hints about this living water that wells up into eternal life. Progression, you know, ready to share the good news. Edge of sharing it. And then says, bring your husband. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Have you ever read that and wondered how does this, where'd this question come from? Why is it here? The flow of the text and all of a sudden he brings this in, go get your husband. I don't think that Christ's character was that he was trying to rub her face in the fact that she had gone through five broken marriages and was with a man that wasn't her, her husband at this point. I know there are some Christians that tend to do that. They see the sin, they don't see the need. But that's not the character of Christ. Christ sees the need and addresses the sin. And so the dialogue, you know, it almost stops short. Uh, again, living water and, oh, by the way, go get your husband. And the woman answered. And we don't know if she was deceiving with truth or answering truthfully with a desire to be truthful. Her response was, I have no husband. Now, whether she's misleading by telling the truth or an honest response, we don't know. 
But Jesus responded to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband. So technically, she doesn't have a husband right now. Uh, Thus you have said truly. So for some reason, Jesus comes back. Doesn't Doesn't let her off on, oh, I don't have a husband. Oh, actually, you've had five. You're you're with somebody that's not your husband. But again, why? Why circle back to that? Why ask her about her husband when he's about to share uh, the fullness that comes in a right relationship with with God? Her response, by the way, was kind of interesting. If you uh, continue on here, Verse 19, the woman said to him, now he's, he's said you've had five husbands, you're with somebody that's not your husband. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. <laughs> I, I do that too, by the way. If things get too uncomfortable, it's easy to kind of slip off and change the subject. And if you throw in something controversial to kind of get their attention... Maybe the spotlight comes off of you and onto that. It happens sometimes when we share the truth about Jesus with people. You know, we're talking about personal need and, and, and struggles, and all of a sudden, well, what do you think about evolution? Or what do you think about homosexuality? Well, those are questions that perhaps are legitimate concerns in the person's mind, but they're a distraction. In fact, Jesus doesn't take the bait here. Um, this is a gal is seeking to hide behind a form of religion. Here's what I've been taught to believe. Here's how we're different from you. I, I don't know if she, what her level of involvement in, in this religious ritual was. The text doesn't tell us. She just says, here's what we're supposed to believe. Here's how we're different from you to distract, but very, very likely similar to others, going through emotion and, and not focused on seeking God. We don't know. But Jesus, interestingly, doesn't uh, debate the mountain. He doesn't debate where you're supposed to worship. Rather, he goes more towards the heart issue. And he talks about worship in spirit and truth, about true worship where you connect with the heart of God and have that right relationship with him. And that's what he presents as he moves on in this text. But again, we go back. Why the question? So let's circle to the three questions I asked, okay? What is this woman looking for? Where is she looking? And what did she find? I've taught this in uh, junior high groups, and um, it's kind of a response, well, duh. I don't know if they use that anymore. (laughs) She's looking for water, looking in a well, and she found water. Okay, simple answers, but actually it goes much deeper than that, I believe. Because of that, that uncomfortable question that Jesus kept coming back to. Go get your husband. I think, I really believe that this woman was looking for the very same thing that every one of us is looking for. That every one of us is looking for. And that is a true and unconditional love. That is a sense of value and completeness and security in relationship. Where was she looking See, I would suggest that that answer lies in Jesus' question. The question was to expose the error. 
I believe she was looking for her security and her fullness and completeness in relationships. And I really believe that what Jesus is saying here is uh, to to pose the question a different way, how's it working for you? You think relationships are going to bring you completeness? Okay, we've had one. How'd that work? Oh, two, three, four, five, six. Is this well-being productive in meeting what your heart desire is? There are some that would suggest, and not seeking to be sacrilegious or anything, that, that maybe at this point she's thinking, well, Jesus, maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is the answer on a relationship basis. We don't know. But the reality is this. We're all prone to seeking completeness apart from God. And we all seek that completeness and that fullness. Jeremiah 2.13, a prophet to the nation Israel, addressing the nation Israel, speaking as as if he's speaking like God, as God. In Jeremiah 2.13, puts it this way. It says, my people have committed two sins. Okay, count them, two sins. Two. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, sin one, and they have dug for themselves cisterns Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. A cistern would be a variety of materials. Uh, The most common was probably just a dugout part of a rock. A place to hold water so that it's available when you need it. And the contrast that that is giving in that verse is here's a spring of living water. You never have to worry. The supply is endless. It's clean. It's fresh. And over here, they've dug out these little divots. Uh, to, they won't even hold water. And if they held water, what would the water be like? You, you live in northern Minnesota. You've been driving down the road and seen those little kind of ponds off to the side of the road with the, the nice green stuff over the top of it, the pond scum. Okay. Even if it held water, it wouldn't be anything like the spring water. For us, in our modern world, obviously we don't spend a lot of time hollowing out rocks as a cistern or, or other ways uh, to form up uh, holding water. But the cisterns could be a number of things. They could be gambling, drugs, alcohol, pornography, money, TV shows, social media, work. They could be a number of things. Not all what we would consider vices. Anything, everything that we seek for security, that we seek security from, apart from Christ, is in essence a broken cistern. Are you tracking me there? It's the same thing that this woman has fallen into. The reality is when you're desperate, you cling to anything you think might be the solution. Make sense? Life-saving 101. Somebody's out there struggling. Let them get tired. Go get them. But here's the rule. You get hold of them, you make sure they don't get hold of you. Because if they get hold of you, you're both going to drown. 
But it's in their desperation, they're going to cling to you. You're not going to be able to swim. You're not going to be able to rescue them. Desperate people cling to what they consider the solution. If you think that money, for example, will bring you completeness and security, you better hoard it. You better cheat your little heart out to get it. Lie, steal, do everything in your power. If that's the answer, then you better be consumed in getting it. If you think that relationships are going to bring your completeness, you better manipulate, control, intimidate, lie, whatever you have to do to make sure you have it. The thing to remember, though, is they won't work. Addictions of any type are really a substitute for relationship, and I believe primarily a substitute for our relationship with God. You have to return for another hit. You need that sugar high. The system runs empty, so you need more, and you need it more frequently and more excessive. But it's cheap plastic. It's counterfeit. It's artificial. It's a substitute. King Solomon learned that. The book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities is what some of the older translations, vanity of vanities, uh, could be translated, what a waste, doesn't work. So he talks about wealth, and he says, vanity of vanities, it didn't work. He talks about success, vanity of vanities. He talks about ownership, relationships, business, fame, possessions, building projects, vanity of vanities. It's not working. It's not the fresh water my heart desires. And then he concludes the book in, in uh, chapter 12 and verse, thing, uh, verse 13, simply this, fear God and keep his commandments because God is the only water that truly satisfies. Same contrast, same theme that runs through all of scripture, same thing that we see with the woman at the well. First reality is all, including us, are prone to seeking our completeness apart from Christ. Second reality, desperate people inside the church and outside the church are looking for the answer, the completeness, the security, and the love. So let's go back to the three questions. What was the lady looking for? I believe she was looking for the same thing we are. Where is she looking? I think that's the whole point of the question about bring your husband. She was looking in relationships. And Jesus was saying, how's it working for you? Is it getting you what you're looking for? And the third question, what did she find? She found Jesus. Because as we move forward in this text, there's interaction and Jesus says this is the true worship and offered himself as the source of living water and eternal life. And there was transformation in this woman's life. She returned to her village, renewed, rejoicing, and just proclaiming Christ. And people thought, yes, this is the real thing, just based on her description. And then they encountered Christ as the text progresses, and they saw the real thing and didn't have to have to rely on her testimony anymore because they had come in contact with the real thing, the fresh water, the spring of living water. What a contrast. When you take a cheap imitation and you put it next to the real thing, the real thing becomes pretty obvious pretty quick. 
And that's part of what took place here. So, uh, my, sin, my people, God says through Jeremiah, have committed two sins. Two sins. One is they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. It's actually labeled spring water, huh? Yeah, yeah. Not bad, huh? And they've dug for themselves cisterns that can't hold water. But if they did, it'd be tasty stuff. By the way, this is your parking lot sand. Which one's going to quench your thirst? Two bottles, two choices. Living water, broken cisterns. That's it. Two options. One answer. Jesus is not an answer, one of many. Jesus is not part of the answer. Jesus is the only answer. The only answer. Years ago, I had a chance to do ministry in, in, in Africa and with pastors. And one of the things that their people struggled with was they, they came to Christ out of the background of witchcraft. And they would mix the witchcraft with the Christianity. They'd kind of blur the principles together a little bit. And that was a real struggle And if I were to fill a glass of water and fill it half full with this water and then add the other half with this water, it still wouldn't be pretty tasty stuff. You wouldn't want to drink it, right? Jesus isn't an answer. He's the only answer. We can't mix Jesus with social media, with work, with money, and think we've got the answer between the two of them. Remember the words of Christ? only serve how many masters? One. There's something mutually exclusive. And Jesus himself is the only answer. So what specific things can we take home from the woman at the well? There are, there are some things. One is uh, just an encouragement. Uh, this methodology for interacting with people about their need to Christ is, is, is a very good methodology. Just a dialogue, where are you looking for your, your, your completeness? How's it working for you? Oh, no, 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 not, I, you don't have to give me an answer. You know, I just, I want you to search your heart. When you sit home alone, nobody else around, and the silence just kind of bounces off the walls, is it working? Really? And if it's working, how come you are obsessed, almost addicted to work, where you constantly have to do more in order to try to achieve what you think is respect from other people? If it's working for you, how come just one more dollar? That's all you need to be happy, just one more dollar, and then one more dollar, and one more dollar. If it's working, how come you're consumed? with just one more dollar. And you can run through each one of the potential cisterns and just ask, be honest with yourself. Is it working? And if it's not working, what are you going to do? And I believe that there's only one, one solution, and that is Jesus Christ and him alone. 
Now, there may be some here today that haven't come to the place where, you, where you've understood that Jesus is the only answer. If you're here today and you just want, uh, there's something stirring, visit with somebody from the church here today. Take time. I'll, 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 I'll be here available after the service if you want to ask me any questions. There's plenty of resources here in the church. Jesus is not one of many answers, not part of the answer, the only answer. He is the one that said, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Interesting, uh, even people who claim Christ stumble with this thing. Uh, We're all prone. We are all prone to drift towards cisterns. Years ago, uh, this statistic is probably 15, 20 years old, still pretty startling and probably still true today, was a survey of Christians done by a Christian firm. And here's what they discovered. 85% of the Christians who responded to the survey said they believed that Christianity works for everyone but them. It works for everybody else, but me, I'm on the wrong side of a plate glass window and I can't get to it. I read about all this marvelous stuff that Christ does and the peace and the joy and the fullness. I can't reach it, but everybody else in the church can. Well, I, uh, that's, uh, there's a lot of, lot of um, poor thinking that's involved there, but the, the feeling is real. I believe that one reason, there's many, perhaps. I think one of the primary issues is just that whole selective process. How many answers are there? One. You can't mix it with anything else. There's one answer. And if you try to juggle two or three answers and, and the heart and the mind keeps going to broken cisterns, you'll never, never, never experience the fullness of Christ. I mean, that stands to reason, right? My people have committed two sins. Forsaken me the spring of living water and dug for them cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So as we finish up, um, whether you are, uh, have never encountered Christ uh, in that personal way, um, I would challenge you to do that because there is reality. There is real love, authentic love and fullness. But even if you have responded to Christ, let me just leave you with this question. If you were to meet Christ today, what would he send you home for? Do you understand the question? He sent the woman at the well back for her husband. Again, I believe, to reveal that that's where she's trying to build her life and her fullness of it. What would he send you home for? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give us fullness and completeness, that it's available in abundance through your Son, Jesus Christ. We understand the reality that we're all prone to to wander, to move away, 
to try to find our fullness in other ways. I think we both, we all understand the, um, the desperation that comes with that. Father, our desire, though, our heart desire is to be desperate for you and you alone and to allow you to be the ruler and the answer to all our needs. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.